0: Hello, this is Larry Dobrow, i am MMM's Senior Editor, and we have a terrific podcast for you here today. It's somebody that we basically have been harassing until he finally relented and decided to come here on the podcast. It's uh, Dr. John White, who's the Chief Medical Officer of WebMD. He'll join us in one second, but before we get started, a couple of quick plugs. Um, our Agency 100 questionnaire is due today. Um, we'll be picking our Agency 100 probably later this week, so uh, get those questionnaires in. Um, we have three Pitch Slam events coming up in the next two weeks, one in Philadelphia, one in Boston, one in New York. They're going to be a lot of fun. They're going to be very informal in a way that you probably don't expect from health and pharma events, so check those out. We also have our Media Summit, the first ever mm and Media Summit on April 20th and mm and Transform on May 13th. Um, tickets are available. Um, go to mmnm-online.com and you can find them there. Anyway, let's get to the main event here. John, thank you so much for coming in. And apologies for the, uh, you know, bothering uh, Pat, you know, one of your coworkers, <laughs> multiple no, times until you finally delighted. relented. I
1: was delighted to come. <laughs> so thank you for inviting me. Yeah. You know, we,
0: we've talked a bunch in the recent past about some of the health media response to coronavirus. And you know, I'm sure we'll get to that in a little bit. But you have a really cool and really interesting background. So why don't we, why don't we start there?
1: Sure. Um, You know, it's funny. People are always like, it's cool. Like, to me, it just seems (laughs) (laughs) you're normal. Uh, And I always like to say, uh, I I still see patients. So I'm a practicing internist. I only see them about, um, on average, one day a week. But that's always been important to my identity. So as you know, I'm the chief medical officer at WebMD, and I've been there for about a year and a half. Um, But my career really has combined clinical medicine, Uh, I did a residency at Duke in internal medicine, and then what's called a health services research fellowship at at Stanford, and decided I wanted to do health policy. Uh, So I came to Washington and worked at the Medicare program at CMS, which was Um, Honestly, it was great because I came at a time when there weren't a lot of physicians that were there or the physicians that were there were very disgruntled physicians (laughs) and unhappy. So I had an opportunity to really help decide what Medicare covered and didn't cover. Uh, and then uh, I met Dr. Oz before he was Dr. Oz. Uh, <laughs> Just some guy I I was practicing through another surgeon stuff. Uh, in in a, in a smaller space than this was at <laughs> Columbia. And uh, he said, "You know, well, his best friend was Billy Campbell, president of Discovery uh, Channel." And he's like, "They want to set up this like health programming, and would you come and and run it on, on weekends?" I was like, "Why would I do that? Like, you know, I'm a Medicare official." But I met them and. The, and they relented uh, in, in kind of, you know, encouraging me to come. So I ended I thought, you know, I'll go there for a year or two to Discovery Channel. Uh, and I ended up staying there 10 years and, and working on health programming. And then uh, I really kind of had this gone into government, leave government, gone into government. And then it was during the time of like the ACA. And I thought, I want to do health policy. Although I thought I was doing health policy at Discovery. <laughs> like, nobody would say that if I did on, a on show. On the side. Sort of. Yes, yeah. 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 Some of the shows would put it in there. Uh, and I ended up going into the Food and Drug Administration working on uh, how do we engage with the patient community, how do we engage with physicians and other folks, and and really help them understand the drug approval process. And then there was this opportunity that, so I stayed there about five years, that's kind of my time frame, five to seven years. Uh, And then I had an opportunity to come at WebMD, Um, and it's been a a wonderful experience. Like you, I'm very focused on health communication and how do we get good information to consumers.
0: Um, I'd like to ask you a little bit about your FDA tenure because, yeah. it's, uh, to me, it's kind of a pivotal time where you know the FDA sort of started reaching out in ways that it never had before. Mm-hmm. The FDA started to communicate, yeah. um, and it started to communicate, I think, pretty effectively. Um, tell me a little bit about your time there. Um, was there a mandate to try to get out in different ways, or was it just a natural progression? People were becoming much more much more in the way of advocates about their health than they had before. And, their you know, yeah. the government's organization had to be responsive in a new way. How, mm-hmm. how did that play out?
1: You know, and I think engagement is iterative. And, and the government moves slowly. And, and just to kind of put in perspective, like when we would say things at meetings, oh, this will launch in October, say, people will say, what year? <laughs> and they're not joking <laughs> because it really is, you know, things can take forever. If I start working on something now, it could be, a year or two because there are so many clearance issues in the government. And, and there's good and bad, and clearance means so many people review something. And that's the challenge in communication that um, words are parsed so carefully, and there's a parlance, you know, a language that we use in government that other people don't. Use so I was on a call with some former, um, you know, uh, federal regulators as well, and someone mentioned with along with my WebMD colleagues, the Federal Register. Well, no one really knows the Federal Register <laughs> unless you're involved in this. Somebody they said, "Time go out, looking like you oh, go it's, back in the, a step. it's in the it's in the Federal Register." Yeah. Like that, that doesn't mean anything. But but who I want to credit is Janet Woodcock, mm-hmm. who's the Center Director and has been the Center Director for many years at the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research. Who really is responsible. Uh, ultimately for the drug approval process. And Janet really has been the champion that we need to listen to patients and that patients are their own experts. So a big Uh, priority of mine was how do we engage patients but how do we engage them in meaningful ways and the challenges in some ways that the government is especially FDA has a lot of scientists and a lot of strength in the biologic sciences you know in medicine and and sometimes talking to patients is kinda the social sciences and you know it's not about how patients feel it's about how do we measure what's clinically meaningful to patients but then it's how do we take that information and package in a way that regulators use, right? So to submit a survey as part of a new drug application, well, how am I going to use that? It's about upfront talking to patients. So, so I will say, so I was there about five years. By my fifth year, I feel there was more progress. But it really was Janet and a few other folks that really talked about we need to engage with the patient community, and the physician community in new ways. Uh, And she created this office of professional affairs and stakeholder engagement that I ran at FDA. And she really was one of the biggest champions. But, you know, it's, it's, it's change, and change moves very slowly. So I think there was a recognition by senior officials that we need to engage with people more. We need to listen to them more, and we need to measure what's clinically meaningful. And And, and that may seem obvious to listeners. Well, of course we should do that. <laughs> but that's not... Traditionally, yeah. what goes on, and that's medicine too. The doctors tend to think they know everything. I'll tell you. I mean, it be, you <laughs> I mean that's, that's it, it used that's, to be the notion yeah. of
0: like the imperial doctor. That's where, right. You know, doctors. You know, this is what you're going to do. And, that's
1: right. You know, there was who's going
0: to question that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So yeah, was there was there almost one kind of a lightning bolt moment while you're at the FDA when you realize like, hey, this is you know something you know kind of bridging that nexus between you know medicine and communication and media. It's like, hey, this is something that a I like doing. B I'm pretty darn good at. Was there was there one moment that you could point back to and say, like, you know, this was this was what kind of clarified it for me, or even you know, prior to the FDA?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's about um, you know talking to patients in, in a normal way, in consumers, without using all the language that we typically use. In some ways, to be a good government official is to be able uh, to quote statute. You know, FADAMA, Fidasia, Section 907. Poor and, and those are always, are over. always <laughs> very used. But, but I think where I started to see progress when we would we had a very big meeting on diabetes. And you would say, well, A1C, which is a measure of blood glucose, which is typically used for approval, patients would say, that doesn't really mean anything. To me and that doesn't necessarily tell you how I'm doing on a daily basis. And to have a meeting where we had uh, regulated industry, which is the pharmaceutical companies, patients, patient groups, health professionals, our, our review divisions, really have a meeting to talk about what, what might be the best measures. We would have never had that, you know, three years ago, two years ago, certainly not five years ago. So we started to see progress in, in that aspect. And and the other big project of mine was something called Drug Trial Snapshots, which was also Janet's idea. Let's publish who participates in clinical trials, because we know there's few blacks, few women, um, and let's get that information out there. And that, where I thought was, and, and I remember saying to, to Dr. Woodcock, is that a uh, is that a Pace project, the group that I ran? Is is that a, a Cedar project, or is that a John White project? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she said to me, "Yes, that's a John White project." And I thought, "Well, that's interesting." <laughs> so I say, "Well, maybe I'm good at in, in communicating information." So maybe that's where I thought, "Hmm, you know, maybe I do know how to, you know, communicate <laughs> and and collaborate." I'm not sure that's the case, but I think that was one of those moments where I thought, "Hmm, you know, I was brought in, you know, to run something, and it wasn't about per se." Communication. It was about engagement, mm-hmm. and that's a different mindset because I think many people feel communication is I'm going to push out my agenda, yeah. right? Uh, and that's not what it's it's about. It's about listening to people and figuring out you know where you need to to better to help people, you know, more effectively understand certain topics and issues.
0: You know, that listening component is one of the things that traditionally has been downplayed, you know, because if you're communicating like, well, you know, here's the information, yeah. but the information's not coming back, yeah. it
1: seems. Like you know, of- I saw that actually at Discovery Channel where when I first got there, you know, I I'd, I'd do a show on diabetes and I think, you know, It's 53 minutes and I'm like, I need to cover all these things. I'm going to cover these like 20 topics and I got to get everything in there because I assume people are going to watch and listen. So I have their attention. But the reality is you don't. And what I learned from my colleagues was, you know what, you have to educate, but you also have to entertain because if you put those 20 things in, no one's going to keep watching and the show is not going to do well. So you have two or three messages and you repeat them time and time again and and that's how people remember, and that's how they start to change. And I remember when I finally started to realize that, then, you know, my doctor colleagues would be like, well, you keep saying the same thing. And I'm like, <laughs> well, exactly. That That's the point. <laughs> because love, home. We, that, that's that's home. right. And, and I also see that, you know, at WebMD, when I'll talk to people, and, and they'll be like, well, we want something, you know, on your website, which, you know, it's not how we structure things. But my point is, Just because you build something, and this was also at FDA, just because you put something on the site doesn't mean people are going to come and consume that information. And I think that's a a big uh, mindset for a lot of folks that want to get information out there. Mm -hmm.
0: And, you know, in a way, it's almost probably still, even in this era where so many of the communications are two-way, it's still a surprise to a lot of
1: people that, that, you know,
0: there has to be that exchange rather than, again, the traditional old, you know, imperial model.
1: Right. And I also think, and you may see this in, in your experience, when we're talking about things, we assume everyone else, you know, is talking about it and knows all the details and knows the data about how many people are obese and knows the problems with sleep or whatever. But they don't because they're not, they have other things on their mind. So you have to go back sometimes and remind people the basics. And I think sometimes in medicine and health and government, we just kind of start, you know, at too high a level and, and then we lose people along the way and, and we don't always know what's best. There, there's still that attitude. you know I'm the, I'm the expert, I'm the boss and I will tell you what you need to know. And that, that doesn't work. In 2020, when the when the smartphone has transformed the way we get information, yeah,
0: this is probably an ill, inelegantly phrased way to put it. But are, are we getting better? You know, are you seeing progress in this regard? Is it coming slow? Is it coming quicker now that everybody has you know a supercomputer you know, in their pocket, basically?
1: Sorry, I think we're getting better because you have to; otherwise, you're going to become irrelevant. Hmm. People aren't going to consume your information. People aren't going to buy subscriptions. Uh, people aren't going to look at your information online. Um, there's more shared decision-making. It doesn't mean that it's always 50-50, but people want to be engaged. Um, and you know, and, and patients will come to me when when I see them, I don't tell them I work at WebMD. (laughs) A lot of times I will say to them, well, what do, what do you think you have? You know, or have you Googled it? That's what I say. You know, nine times out of 10, they, they say they do. And one day the, uh, a woman said to me, she came in with, um, she said she wanted to be checked for her thyroid, and she was young. And I said, well, are you losing weight? Do you have temperature issues? And she didn't have any symptoms. She didn't have any family history. But she still wanted to be tested for her thyroid because she said uh, she, she Googled it, and um, and she felt because it came up number one, it said you should be tested for thyroid. And, you know number one doesn't always mean it, it's the best one out one there. Somebody's but, doing but, some good SEO. Work. but yes. <laughs> in some ways it's a longer conversation <laughs> that you know if you're tired, it doesn't automatically mean the first thing that you have thyroid disease. But people want to have that conversation and then they want to be engaged and they, they want to talk about it.
0: Um, Given your sophistication on both the media side Mm -hmm. and also being, you know, still practicing, Mm -hmm. is it ever a frustration to you when patients come in, you know, armed with whatever information they've accumulated and almost like a... I don't want to say a skeptical attitude, yeah. but you know, an attitude of like, yeah. well, I know already, right. I'm just here to kind of,
1: you yeah. know, confirm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sophistication might be generous. So well, thank you for no, that. Thank you for <laughs> that. Thank you for that flattery. You know, and part of it may be I, I don't see patients every day, so I may not get as no. frustrated. So, you know, I, I'm excited to come in that day and see patients. But but kind of here's the difference. And, and, and I often say this to folks, Five years ago, patients will have printed the information out, right? And they wouldn't say they have it, but they'll print it out and want to talk about it. And what would the doctors do? Probably means, well, they take it, they put it to the side, and I just never look at it and continue my regular conversation. But I saw a patient the other day who came in with something called a subconjunctival hemorrhage, which is a redness of the eye, which can be scary, but it's in, usually in the one of the corners, and it's walled off. And it, it really is a classic presentation. Uh, and he came in with it, and um, he said his eyes were itchy and red, and he thought he had conjunctivitis uh like he told me that up front uh, actually he says i have conjunctivitis and i said you have a subconjunctival hemorrhage uh and i even pulled it up on his smartphone and showed him an image and i said this is what you have and it can be scary but you don't need anything it's going to resolve you're not on blood thinners and he says to me uh am i going to get an antibiotic and i said no uh you don't need an antibiotic that's we don't treat that. It's not a conjunctivitis. Most conjunctivitis is viral. He doesn't want to hear any of that. Uh, so <laughs> My dad says, was an ophthalmologist. Right, right. So okay, I'm okay. With, you're very familiar yeah, with yeah, this yeah. conversation. Ask him. So he says, but they're itchy because he had read mm-hmm. that conjunctivitis is itchy yeah. often in the morning. So I'm like, you know, it's, it's not. So he actually said to me, so you're not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I said, well, you don't actually need anything. He actually said to me, he'll go see another doctor yeah. later in the week. So I thought, Oh, I'm going to get a bad review because <laughs> he's he's unhappy. And people but, are throwing copays right. left
0: and right. So, and- So
1: this is an example where, you know, <laughs> he didn't come in necessarily to talk about it. He came in actually making the diagnosis that he thought he had and his was more kind of this is what it is and if you don't treat me for what I think it is I'm going to go see someone else Mm -hmm. I'm seeing more of that it it doesn't frustrate me you know I get concerned because I think people are getting bad information sometimes they're not treating things right I see a lot of that where people have tried things I I saw a woman who had a very bad ear infection because she had read you could microwave hydrogen peroxide and then put in your ear because it'll melt the ear and I don't know where she might have read this but she read it somewhere and it was a a bad outcome I'll be honest so I, I get concerned about that what I try to do is to encourage patients to come in and talk about it. Mm-hmm. So the challenge in the conjunct subconjunctival hemorrhage he didn't really want to talk about it. But I also get it. And you know, he came in and he felt like at the end, you know, he took time off work, he came in and at the end of the day he got nothing, right? But he didn't actually need anything. And maybe I didn't communicate well enough like well, you know, this, you know, you don't need it or you know, another colleague said, "Well, maybe I should have prescribed some saline eye drops." But he, he didn't really need that. Um, so it becomes a little more complicated, um, because in many ways for some patients and and some folks, it's, remember, medicine is an art as well as a science. They come in feeling, okay, you think it's (laughs) subcontractival hemorrhage. I think it's conjunctivitis, right? Like they're equally, they're (laughs) equally plausible, but, but they're not that that's sometimes, The challenge, and And, I'm concerned that people end up getting bad treatment.
0: It's such a cruel irony because you know when you go to the doctor, the best thing you can hear is nothing wrong. Yeah, okay, (laughs) and then you know, like, wait a second, I'm not walking out of here with you know. Some people want a prescription. (laughs) Yes, a lot of times
1: people want to leave with a prescription because they feel strongly that they have something. So I see more of that, but I don't get frustrated by it, but I get concerned. That people aren't necessarily getting good information, mm-hmm. and that could lead to poor care. And obviously, there's a lot of folks that don't come in, and you and you see it in the news that people, especially younger folks, are proud that they don't need to go to the doctor, <laughs> that they can treat everything, <laughs> you know, online, and that's not always a, a good thing yeah. to do. So, you know, I think it's it's a it's a process that's going on right now, and I think doctors need to do a better job about engaging more with patients as well. So you can't always be, well, it's my way, you know, or or the highway. And the, the challenge is that we're so pushed to see more patients in the day, it's hard to have those conversations because it takes a lot more time to say, well, this isn't what you have. It would have been easier to write a, you know, a prescription, but that's not the right thing to do.
0: Um, you know, you said over the course of that answer about you know some people not getting good information. Mm-hmm. Um, WebMD is a place where there is good yes, information you, and it's dispensed it yes. in a way that it's comprehensible as mm-hmm. opposed to a lot of other places on the internet. Um, you've been there for about 18 months now. Mm-hmm. The chief medical officer role. Um, after you talked about your FDA experience sure. and your discovery experience, you know it, it seems probably the job that was almost crafted around <laughs> you. Um, t- tell me about. I don't want to say a typical day, but yeah. maybe a typical week. What yeah. are some of the and activities is, that you most? Sure. That you most uh, look out for
1: it is a new role actually at, yeah. at WebMD, so they didn't have a chief medical officer role before. And my role really is, and I'm still based in DC, that's why <laughs> it took some time uh, to coordinate. Is I'm really about partnerships. How do we create uh, partnerships with with different groups on important public health topics? So uh, you know, I'm very interested in what we cover editorially, but. You know, I'm also interested. You know, what about drug pricing? What about patient privacy? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what about the availability of transplants? Age-friendly care. That's not typically what people search. You know, they search. Uh, you know, diabetes. They search heart disease. They search, "Am I having a stroke?" But these other issues, policy issues, are equally important. And how do I get? folks interest in it. And I find sometimes when I talk about I've learned not to ne- not necessarily say policy too much up here in New York because folks will kind of roll their eyes. Yeah, go back <laughs> like, down yeah, south. Right, right. Whereas in DC, <laughs> I could have a a meeting with, you know, basically just coffee and 200 people will show up to debate, you yeah. know, some issue of of, you know, minutia, you know, relating to to policy. But folks ultimately do care whether they can get their medical records. Patients ultimately do care about, you know, the, the cost of drugs and other aspects. So I'm particularly interested in thinking through how do we extend thought leadership? You know, how do we, and you've talked to our, our, our chief marketing officer, Stu McFarland, about we're more than just a site, that we really need to be a platform where we can connect patients to more information and to physician and other aspects of care so you know i'm very focused on how search is changing that people search information and they get content but they want to do something about it so it's back to they don't want to just bring it in to the doctor's office and say well tell me what to do they want to they want to connect that content to care so you know what you want to make a telemedicine visit. You want to download an app to upload, you know, a rash uh, to to get a read really quickly. You know, you want to be able to order an STD test uh, if you think you have symptoms. So I'm very interested in thinking through, you know, how do we extend our our brand. Uh, into more thought leadership. So I've been hosting a a series of events, typically in Washington, at least one here at the National Press Club, because that's very classic, (laughs) you know, D.C., talking about, you know, how do we more effectively advance women's health issues, particularly as it relates to later in life and menopause, uh, but other symptoms as well. How do we get better care as we get older? Because as we develop more symptoms, that's often where we have more challenges with health system. So it's kind of not that classic, you know, I'm going to search toenail fungus, you know, which is important because people, you know, are concerned about that. Feet always does well, <laughs> by the way, in search. Uh, so, it's a new you, SEO yeah, tip that so we can you know, put into so year you know, right. also. That's right. Put something about <laughs> sandals and feet uh, and it will do well. Uh, but I'm interested kind of in these 50,000, you know, foot levels relating to health. So that's really what I think about and you know who do we work with, who do we partner with. You know I've been doing these surveys, 81 million people come to the website every month um you know how could we survey them in a rigorous scientific way segmented by sex race and age socioeconomic status and geography and most people don't do that what i learned at fda is that we often see differences based on gender based on race in terms of attitudes and beliefs and knowledge so that's what i'm interested in in thinking about you know how do we help people and understand what they need at the end of life and, and, and I'm very proud that we're able to, to you know, think about these things and then try to advance leadership on it and, and bring people in to talk about it. So th- that's kind of what, what I'm focused on on a daily basis.
0: You know, I'm, I think I've, we've talked about this before, but um, to a certain extent, you know, everybody has been going to WebMD for mm-hmm. so long. In a way, did that make it almost a little more difficult to build this out? I mean, you know, everybody's yeah. used to doing one specific thing, yeah. but now there are actions that can be taken and everything else. Yeah. Um, was was it a challenge? Yeah. I don't wanna say steering yeah. because that makes it sound like yeah. it's almost a deliberate like right. ever knew something, but was it was it challenging kinda yeah. I wanna say changing directions, it's really not a change sure. in direction. It's more a natural evolution. Yeah. But walk me through. And that. and I'm
1: gonna be honest, when WebMD approached me, at first I did think, hmm, you know, do do I want to do that? That seems kind of like my old life in media. Mm-hmm. You know, and is this a brand, you know, where is it gonna be, you know, in five years from now? I really did, you know, think about it, but by talking um, you know, to the the senior executives, um and actually Having joined WebMD and talking to people all the time, I really have been reinvigorated that it really is an extremely credible, strong brand. So for me, I learned it really is about being iterative, you know, that you have to change with the time. So it felt natural that WebMD should move into this new, you know, realm of that we need to create content to care because that's how people search and that's what people want and so to me goal, it seemed you know? very obvious so that's that's what I'm particularly interested in you know we have great editorial and great content in diabetes great content you know in in a realm of, of categories which is all reviewed by board certified physician that's listed on the site that's has the date on it a lot of places don't do that and given the volume you know of our information it's impressive but to me it made complete sense that um, you want to change with the times. Otherwise, you're going to be left behind. And Otherwise, you be yeah, And basically. search is changing. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So to me, it made complete sense. And it's exciting to be at a place that's, that's iterating. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, we've talked about this as well, mm-hmm. but the, the health media response to coronavirus. Um, mm-hmm. I think our first conversation about this was maybe yes. six weeks ago mm-hmm. when it was in a very different place than we yep. are now. Um I think what HealthMD has done so well is provide context. Mm-hmm. You know it's very easy to say all right here's what you do but I think right. what you know HealthMD WebMD <laughs> HealthMD yeah. WebMD has done extremely well is basically say all right here is the entire layout, you know, this is how it can start, right. this is how you can be in the middle, here's what you need to do, here are some of the mm-hmm. real threats, here are some of the threats that are not. Um, how, how has the coverage come together? Has there been a weekly or a daily meeting? Um, yeah. tell, tell me a little bit about how Absolutely, it's, how it's, how there's multiple
1: performing. meetings a day, and our website is updated at least daily, uh, sometimes several times a day. Uh, and it's updated on the weekends as well. So we do have an editor that's uh, you know, updating mm-hmm. the site. And, and we'll go to those um, uh, sources such as the CDC, WHO, mm-hmm. some of the sources in Europe, as well as do our own reporting to help provide yes. people the best information. We recently put up an infographic comparing cold and flu and coronavirus because we also know that's how people like to get information at times that it's not always text and reading some people want like an image that they can you know see on twitter and facebook and instagram that's how they're going to get some of their information uh, excuse me but there really has been this commitment to how do we provide credible information that's evidence based in an environment where we don't always know what we don't know we talked a little bit about that and it's in in those times where folks spread a lot of misinformation, and we're very careful about not doing that. And sometimes with search, the more provocative you are, the higher you end up on that list Hmm. in terms of what people are going to click. So that's a real concern. Top 10 coronavirus. That's right. That's right. I'm tired of hearing about bat soup, (laughs) things like that. But, you know, it it is about that long history of providing credible evidence-based information um, that I'm... So proud that we're trying to really advance information and helping people become educated on the issue, but not panicking as well um so yeah it's it's a, a daily endeavor yeah. on my way over. I had several calls on <laughs> coronavirus coming over so it's 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 a work in progress
0: um in a very very big picture sense um has the health media done a good job of covering this? Has the health media done a good job of alerting? you know, to the real issues versus the ones that are, you know, kind of a little more, let's say,
1: conspiracy-based? Sure. I think overall the health media, if we said, you know, what are the the health media sites are doing a better job now, including CDC, in terms of getting the best information out there, doing it in a way that consumers are going to understand. You know, people like frequently asked questions. Uh, they like, you know, short videos. The Surgeon General has been out there more talking mm-hmm. about, hey, masks – Um, don't work if you're not already sick, which I thought was a great example of communication because he didn't try to do 10 things in there. He just did one. You can remember that, and I can remember, okay, if a mask doesn't fit right, it doesn't work, and if I'm not sick, uh, it's really not helping (laughs) anyone. So I think the health media is doing much better now, and a lot of great health institutions are doing a good job. The challenge is there's a lot of people that talk about health that have no... Knowledge and experience, so it's hard. If I said the health media is doing a good job, but I think there's 20 other people out there that are spreading misinformation because they want to, you know, get hits. Uh, and, and many of them are selling things as well. I've seen a lot of products that say they protect against coronavirus, and it simply is not true. And it's very hard to crack down uh, on these sites. So a lot of folks are spreading. Misinformation. Some people, like you said, they're still spreading conspiracy theories. They're still saying, unfortunately, some very um, you know messages with racial undertones. So it is it is a challenge at times, and that's why we need to have these credible sites that are giving good information out there, and then you know having an effective communication strategy.
0: Uh, one thing I've noticed also, um, you know, not just WebMD but some other you know health media specific sites. There's been a not a focus on it, but there's also been some debunking, being like, all Absolutely. right, here are one or the two very crazy things that we've seen. Right. Here's why they're not true. Yes. Let's move on. Yeah, <laughs> is and that people a deliver- like myths.
1: A- Absolutely, because that's also how people like to get information and in little snacks, yeah. <laughs> so to speak. And everybody likes a quiz. You know, to do, I've seen a lot of different, you know, MythBusters. if I took my discovery <laughs> days. Um, people like that and they're used to that. Uh, the challenge is some folks would want to do, if I was in the government, they'd want to do 25 myths. <laughs> but everybody's going to read that. <laughs> you know, you have to do like, it's the top five or the top seven, mm-hmm. people can remember that. And I've seen some really good ones, including about, you know, and, and then people do ask things like, you know, can they open a package, you know, that's from China. Um, you know, what do you do on a plane? So there's been a lot of good information, especially now, that's coming out. I think the challenge is going to be is we're going to see more cases, and we're probably going to see more deaths because we're doing more testing, whereas before we didn't. Mm -hmm. But what I think the CDC has done very well lately, and the Surgeon General, is now they're putting that information out there. So they're telling you, be ready because we're going to see more cases because that's expected because now we're doing more testing and people won't have known that. But if you're not following it, you'll turn on the news or you'll read your, your news feed, And all of a sudden, there's thousands more cases. Mm. But it's also because now we have a lot more ways to test. And when we didn't test, it's very or test a lot of people, it's very hard to find the cases now that we are. And that makes sense.
0: And also, we're paying attention in a much more focused manner than we were a couple weeks ago, which,
1: for better or worse, that's that's a currency too. Some days I'm surprised if it's the top news (laughs) all the time. Uh, It's good to be prepared, but we also don't want to, you know. Scare people. So when they're showing videos that you know your local drugstore, or pharmacy, <laughs> supermarket, the shelves are gone. I'm not always sure that helps because what does that make you think, oh, I better go <laughs> get some, because there there isn't going to be any more you know over the counter <laughs> medicines and you know disinfectants. So uh, I don't know sometimes about that.
0: Apparently there has been a mad rush on Purell and similar yes, substances at every you know Dwayne Reed. I know, and Rite I was thinking Aide about that this and- like, Where am I going
1: to go pick <laughs> some up? Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) One way or another, I have a feeling we'll all be covered. I had a patient
1: the other day who told me she came in with a mask, but she was wearing it backwards. So I did tell her that. And I said, you know, where? first of all, where did you get this mask? She's like – she did say to me, oh, they're giving them out of the hospital. I'm like, hmm. I don't don't, don't think they are. And then she's like, oh, she just went like – <laughs> and picked one up, you know, over there. And I was like, no, nah, they're not. That's not how they're designed for. But it shows. That she was, you know, she had a good idea. I mean, she was clever. You know, I'll just go to the hospital and go to the floor and pick one up. I mean, theoretically, uh, that's where there yeah. should be a lot of masks. You know? Yes, yes, but she shouldn't be taking those. Yeah, but I thought, oh, <laughs> she was clever. She she got one, uh, but someone should have told her about it. So yeah, so but it drives fear because then you think, oh, how are you going to get stuff yeah. if you need it? All
0: right. Um, one last question, then sure. we're gonna move into our speed round here. But um, what's next? Um, I know one of the things that we've been talking about, and um, it's actually something I talked about with Pat, one of your coworkers, mm-hmm. um, social determinants and digital health Absolutely. as a way of as a way of basically mm-hmm. helping and basically expanding access and everything else. Um, yeah. What's the work that you hope to do in that? that that's a big
1: passion of mine. You know, how do we? Uh, eliminate disparities how do we reduce disparities you know how do we recognize that it's not just access to the healthcare system that determines how long you live i mean in dc i can map out longevity based on the metro line and if you live in an area where there is particularly uh, a high prevalence of african americans your uh, longevity is often you know 7 years less than if you live in a in a Bus stop or a metro stop that primarily has Caucasian, and that's not right. right. You know, especially you know in in this day and age where you know we need to have more health equity. So it goes partly to that challenge I said early on when when people search and want to talk health, they don't typically want to talk these broad policy issues. So how do I get people interested in it? So even you know in clinical trials, it's first of all it's been an issue of awareness. How do I get people to recognize that you know what that there's only three percent. Blacks in cancer clinical trials, where do they go if they fail standard therapy? Mm-hmm. How do they get care? And what are we going to do about this? So it's sensitizing them, first of all, to awareness. It's this thought leadership of having discussions about how do we improve women's health. You know, it's not just about access uh, to doctors. It's, you know, some of these other areas that determine in terms of, you know, climate, you know, water, um Access to you know fresh fruits and vegetables that we don't have enough of those discussions are so for me it's trying to think of how do we have other tools and strategies to do that I think you know in the setting of social media it can be you know, different type of you know Instagram takeovers, Reddits, yeah. We've been doing a lot of different things, public events. Uh, so I'm very much interested in, in thinking about you know what are these strategies that we can get people talking about it, but then also thinking about well, what am I going to do about it? That we need to have solutions mm-hmm. as well.
0: Um, from what you've seen so far, are you optimistic? Are people paying attention? Is the message getting out there?
1: I, I think we're having more discussions around it. On mm-hmm. um, but in some areas, what I've said to people, and I would say this at FDA, too, we don't need to do more research <laughs> in some ways to understand what are the issues. We know what they are. So, and what I'm starting to see is let's have discussions about what do we do about it? Uh, you know, what what are some things that we can try and then measure whether or not they're successful? So I, I'm starting to see that. But you know what? Not everyone's convinced mm-hmm. that, you know, social determinants of health um, is Relevant and and that's a phrase that a lot of listeners may not you know even really understand that much You know epidemiologists like to talk about that mm-hmm. public health officials like to talk about it But doctors don't talk about it enough and you know Kaiser Permanente has done a lot You know they're primarily on the west coast, but some of them in Atlantic They talked about the importance of housing in in your health and, and how creative is that and and how do we get a benefit? Uh, in many ways to make sure that people have safe housing uh, and they're also not homeless in, in terms of their health. So it's it's these kinds of issues that I think we're making progress on. And I think health systems are starting to take that on as well.
0: well they're big issues. They're important issues. And good on you for taking them well, on and you know being a leader mm-hmm. in this. All right. uh, quick, we always finish okay. with the speed round. All here. right. Oh, so, wow. Uh, who, in your mind, are some of the smartest people in health media?
1: Um. I think Sanjay Gupta does a, a great Smart job. He, uh, <laughs> he's he's very measured. He, you know, he he does his research. So I, I'd say Sanjay's uh, probably one of the best.
0: Um, what's your daily reading? Um, you know, you're a doctor. You know, you're someone that yeah. works for a media mm-hmm. organization. What do you read? You, you know, I read
1: than? I read a lot of online um, sites that uh, curate the top health. Articles, mm-hmm. so I read a lot of that. My wife jokes, I still print a lot of things out. I know that's <laughs> not environmentally friendly. Because I travel a lot, so I like to read it on the train. I like to read it on the plane. So I, I print out a lot of these articles. I do read medical journals. Just as an intern, so I read JAMA, Annals, New England Journal. I don't read every article. Um, I wish I could tell you that I, and I do get books every holiday and birthday, like books that I think I'm going to read. I used, <laughs> I used to read, I know this is lightning round. I used to read a lot of like, uh, you know, Washington thriller <laughs> ones and like espionage yeah. and others, uh, and spy novels. <laughs> I, I haven't had time as much. I have a bunch of them. I have young children, so that's also hard to, I'm watching a lot of cartoons and stuff.
0: Uh, Spongebob they showed this morning yeah. the episode with Squidward you know going up against William. it was, it was yeah, brilliant yeah, so I think I'm yeah. in the same boat as you okay, are okay <laughs> yes yes John I can't thank you enough for coming in here yes. it was absolutely worth the wait and uh, I hope you'll come back thank Let's you us again me. at some point delighted. soon alright everybody thank you very much for listening this is the m m podcast please listen on SunCloud uh, SoundCloud too for that matter uh, Stitcher um, iTunes and everywhere that you can find podcasts for m m this is Larry Dobrow thanks again